My fellow Americans, Memorial Day is a day of ceremonies and speeches. Throughout America today, we honor the dead of our wars. We recall their valor and their sacrifices. We remember they gave their lives so that others might live. The unknown soldier who has returned to us today and whom we lay to rest is symbolic of all our missing sons. He saw the horrors of war and bravely faced them. Certain his own cause and his country's cause was a noble one, that he was fighting for human dignity, for free men everywhere. Let us, if we must, debate the lessons learned at some other time. Today, we simply say with pride, thank you, dear son. May God cradle you in his loving arms. Well, this Memorial Day, we wanted to start with a tribute to those who literally embodied the words of Jesus who said, greater love has no man than to lay down his life. They gave their life for the cause of freedom. And we remember and we give honor to whom honor is due. We remember our gold star families who also made the ultimate sacrifice. We love you. We pray for you. We remember you. So I want to take this opportunity, if you're just joining us, to welcome us to Christ's journey right here to the Gables campus, to our Kindle campus, shout out to you, to all those who are joining us around the globe via church online, and then a shout out, a special shout out to our temporary campus in Boston. Carmen and Pablo are there. Their daughter, Francesca, is getting married. Carmen said, you need to mention me. I have. Okay. But here's what I want to tell you. Uh, I grew up in a military family. Uh, my dad was a naval aviator. So you can imagine that we had rules, all right? As a matter of fact, we had two categories of rules. We had rules, and then we had what were kind of absolutes. We'll call those lesser laws. Now, you knew it was an absolute because it was always prefaced by the word never. So for instance, never hit your baby sister. And actually, this proved to be very wise. She was part cougar, wolverine, and raptor. I mean, you got in a fight with that girl, you lost body parts, I kid you not. And this next one proved that my generation was the smartest generation ever. Never leave home without telling us where you're going. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have text message. We didn't have email. I mean, you had to be a genius just to figure out how to tell your parents you wanted to leave the house. And then how about this one? Never address an adult without saying sir or ma'am. And you need to realize, I grew up in an age of whoopings. How many of you ever got a whooping? You knew you were getting a whooping when your parents were spanking you and praying at the same time, Lord Jesus, don't let me kill this child. That was a whooping. <laughs> and then, and then I grew up in an age with a very popular say, here it was, never talk politics and religion in the presence of polite company. So what do you think I'm gonna do today? We're going to talk politics and religion. I, I figure it's my last Sunday. I don't think the HR committee is going to shave my head and send me to Afghanistan. <laughs> but the reason I chose this is because I am a veteran with two combat deployments. And today, I look at the political landscape in America, and I ask myself, is this what I gave my life for? Really? 
I mean, I thought I was going to fight for the Constitution of the United States. You know, the right to bear arms, free speech, the right to assemble, you know, religious freedom. And yet these have become increasingly attacked in our world today. I thought I fought for the right to elect lawmakers who would enact laws that would be for the benefit of the population, not issue subpoenas. And I can tell you this, I thought I was fighting for the sanctity of life. I did not go to combat to fight for late-term abortions, and for that matter, post-term abortions. I never thought I would see this in my lifetime. Had I killed a newborn infant in combat, that would have been called an atrocity, and I'd have been charged for murder. In some states today, it's called the law. I know this, I did not fight for a socialist government, but I believe in social work, and I believe in social justice, and I believe Christians should be at the forefront of every major social justice issue. And I don't know about you, but I grew up in school citing the Pledge of Allegiance. Remember it? One nation under God, I hear that today, and I think, really? Indivisible? It seems like we are more divided than ever. We are divided along racial, political, religious, gender, sexual orientation, socioeconomic lines. And it seems like we're being forced to pick a side. And what about liberty and justice for all? I wonder if I would really believe that if I were an African-American male living in America today. And to add insult to injury, it seems like we've reverted back to the days of the judgment where everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And it seems, or at least it feels to me, that Christ followers, we've lost our voice in our society today. You see, here's what I've concluded. We've become a divided states of America, not a United States of America. And we are being forced to take sides. As a matter of fact, we're being forced into polar opposites. And it seems like we've chosen popular politics over what's really good for the population. You know, it seems like we've discarded values for vices. And I've wondered, whatever happened to disagreeing without dishonoring? And so I think, I don't want to be on that side. And I think, I don't really want to be on that side. And here's what I've discovered, that somehow we've done a great job of tearing ourselves apart in the land of the free and the brave. And so I wonder, is there anyone out there who can pull us together again. I often wonder, is there another option? Well, about six months ago, a friend of mine at Church by the Glades, Larry Mayer, told me, Mark, there's a book that you need to read. The name of the book is The Third Option, and it's by Miles McPherson. It's a book on racism. Now, Miles is an ex-NFL football player. He's a pastor in San Diego. And, and Miles basically opens up his book by helping us remember a story in the book of Joshua. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Joshua chapter 5. If you don't know the scenario, the Israelites are about ready to claim their promise. But there is an obstacle in their way, Jericho. Joshua is the commander of the Israeli forces. And so we pick up in verse 13. Look what it says. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him, note this, with a drawn sword. I might liken that to Miami, the person with a drawn gun, maybe a machete, but this is a person that you approach with great caution. And then note what happens. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or are you for 
our enemies. Basically, what Joshua is saying is, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? But note the response. Neither. He replied, and then what do you think he does? He rolls out his credentials next. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, all caps, I have now come, all caps, meaning I'm big, you're small. Now Joshua fell face down in the ground in reverence. This reverence is what we call the fear of the Lord. It's where we give respect to God. We don't toy with God. And according to Solomon, the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. God's big. We're small. But notice he asked him, what message is there? In other words, he's saying, is there another option? And then the angel responds, already says, does the Lord have for your servant? Notice that Joshua's a commander, but he takes a position of humility, not arrogance. I wonder if our world would be better today if we saw less arrogance and more humility amongst all those who serve in whatever capacity. So basically, here's what he's saying. Angel, pick a side. Angel, pick a side. Angel says, no way. No way. He said, there's a third option, God. Basically, the angel's saying, I am that side. God's way is the true way that all of us should want to be a part of. You see, sides divide us. Sides tear us apart. When it comes to sides, somebody has to win, somebody has to lose. And I'm not saying there aren't appropriate times for sides. As a matter of fact, whenever the Miami Hurricanes play the Seminoles or Gators, this is the time to be praying that God would ignore the heathen prayers of all their coaches, their players, and their parents. But what I know is more and more we're being forced to take sides, sides that many of us don't even want to take. And what's that do? What forces us to label others. And when we label others, it gives us permission to hate. It gives us permission to tear down because we view them less than instead of equal to. And we all do this, don't we? Because you see, when we give people labels, they're no longer our brothers or sisters. And if they're no longer our brothers or sisters, we don't have to love them. You know, years ago, I was at a Promise Keepers when I heard an African-American pastor talk about black upmanship and white upmanship. And the whole time I was listening, I thought, well, that will never happen to me. You know, you have to understand that I served in the military with African-Americans. I was raised in a home where racism was literally not tolerated. You could be restricted for life, okay? But I also served in inner city youth group, mostly African-American teens. And on the day my son, Nathaniel, was born, I bought 200 blue, purple, or blue cigars, and that's the people that I wanted to be with. But when I went to Albuquerque, New Mexico to meet with Pastor Bill about coming to then University Baptist Church, I had to take a flight home. And I caught a flight in Denver. And so I'm on, sitting there in my seat, suddenly what looked like all of an 18-year-old African-American male walked on the plane and he had three bars on his shoulder. And I thought, what's the brother doing flying jets? Translated, African-Americans can't fly planes. But I didn't have to worry too long you know why? The Captain She came on next. And I thought to myself, we're gonna die. But you know what? For three and a half hours, I never felt such godly sorrow in all of my life. Thinking, where could that have come from? What within me had the label and think that I have to take sides? Did you know Miles Mitchell's book that we're 99.9% .9 alike? I actually looked up the Harvard study and it's true. Actually, genetically, there's no such thing as race. But there's one area in life where we're 
percent of life. You know what that is? We are all image bearers of God Almighty. We can think like God, we can act like God, we can love like God, we can forgive like God, we can live like God, which means what? Nobody is above anybody else. You see, here's what I've come to realize, that Satan, the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, has done a great job of dividing us. You see, folks, we forget that Satan is the enemy. Not the white man, not the black man, not the Democrat, not the Republican, not the male, not the female, but Satan. And here's the good news, that the third option, the third option, Pastor Bill reminded me of this, is the option of goodness. It's where we do in the name of Jesus good things, good deeds. You see, I think God loves to bring people together I think God loves to fix broken systems. I think the differences are actually good because they're an opportunity to be creative and that we can even disagree without dishonoring. As a matter of fact, differences oftentimes will lead to better solutions. And I believe that Christians need to lead the way in bringing America back together again. I love how this passage continues. Look what he says. The commander of the Lord's army. And I don't know what this guy looked like. I think he's like General Patton on steroids, okay? But he says this, take off your sandals for the place. Note that word place where you're standing. It's holy. And note this, Joshua did so. You know, think about that word holy. You know what it dawned to me? Wherever you are, at work, in your home, on the road in Miami, (laughs) At church, guess what? That place is holy. You know why? Because God's there. That's your place of victory. That is the place where God has put you to fight the good fight on behalf of your friends, your neighbors, your city, even your nation. You see, we show them. We show them God when we show them through our good deeds. And just imagine all the very things you can do in the workplace or do at home, the good that you can do for others. For instance, What if today we decided no more foster care in Miami and we united with other churches to see that every single child in Miami is adopted? Do you think that would have an impact for the cause of Christ? What if you today would decide you were gonna adopt that child? You see, folks, with the nation bent on tearing itself along political lines, I believe the only hope of restoration is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe it is the good news that works for people. I believe that it is the good news that unifies. I believe that it is the good news that heals. I believe that it is the good news that can bring every nation, whatever nation's turned in, to be able to experience hope. As a matter of fact, James says, when you don't know what to do, the wise thing to do is to show it in good conduct, is show it in the way we live. And would you agree with me that maybe, maybe America could use a little bit more goodness and maybe less hate? You see, I think if America wants to save itself, maybe it needs to take a clue from its own money. I mean, look at this pick of this dollar bill. Note what it says. In God we trust. You know, this doesn't say in the USA we trust, you know? And I think somehow we flipped this. I really do. And here's what I wrote down. God doesn't need the USA to create liberty and justice for all. The USA needs God to create liberty and justice for all. Somehow we flipped this. We have flipped this. See, I want to ask you, did God need the USA to lay the foundations of the universe? Did God need the USA to raise Jesus from the dead? Did Jesus arrive and ascend to heaven on Air Force One? The answer is no. 
You see, here's what I want to say. Freedom and justice are God's ideas. And when government is done God's way, it is a blessing. But when government is done our way, it's a curse. We see division. We see name calling. We see partisan politics instead of people working together for the good of all people and the cause of freedom and justice. You see, I believe when a nation loses its moral compass, it loses its global influence. And I wonder if we're not teetering on that edge. So what are we supposed to do? I think we're supposed to remember. You say, well, remember what? Remember this, that we are citizens of heaven first, the USA second. If you're tuning in from another country, we'll just insert your country before that. And I believe that heaven's citizens should make the best USA citizens. We should be a model for citizenship for everyone. I love the Apostle Paul is a citizen of Rome. He is writing to the church in Philippi. Look what he says. For I've often told you before, and now we'll tell you again. And I want you to note these words. With great tears. He's feeling this deeply, folks, is what it's saying here. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. In other words, many live in rebellion of God. But this isn't something that produces joy in us. It produces great sorrow in us. For Paul, this is not a bad thing. It is a tragic thing for Jesus desires that none, not one, should perish. And then he gives the reason why. And note what he says here. He says their destiny is their destruction. That it ends up they lose. Their God is their stomach. In other words, their God is whatever their appetite at the time. And they do not mind consuming others just to fill themselves But note this one here. Note this one. Their glory is their shame. It's as though they get a spiritual dishonorable discharge for eternity. But then he adds a big but. Some buts are bigger than others, but here's what he says. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there. Note this word again. The what? Say it. Say it. The what? That was pathetic. You can't read an indictment on our education system. So wait this. Let's try it again. Here we go. We eagerly await a savior from heaven. The what? Okay, the Lord Jesus Christ. Same word that we encountered from the angel. All right? The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power, what power? The power that can light a star. The power that can transform a heart. The power that can bring any nation under its control. That's a lot of power. That power is available to us. In the name of Jesus, there's power. Here's what he's saying here like this. And notice this. Everything will bring everything under his control. Every knee one day will bow. And every tongue will confess. And he knows this. will transform your lowly bodies. What's that mean? He's going to take us to heaven, our real home. And so if heaven's our real home, then basically we bring up there, down here, every day and every way. That's what Pastor Bill's been teaching us for years. That's why we do that. And then note this, note this. I believe heaven's citizens. You say, well, what should they look like? Well, here's the word I chose, different. I think we're different. In the book, I think Peter writes in his book, peculiar. I mean, look around. See the people beside you? They're all peculiar. (laughs) I've seen some of you, okay? But notice this, notice this. Here's what I believe here. When the reality of heaven is truly upon your heart, then guess what? You live differently. You swap the world's fool's gold for treasures in heaven. 
And heaven's citizenship comes with privileges, comes with identity. Look at this. We're image bearers who reflect his character wherever we are. That place is holy. You reflect God's character wherever you are. Notice this. We're sons and daughters of the most high. That means we're kids of a king. Look at this. We're a royal priesthood. We've got full access to God, and we can intercede on behalf of our nation and its leaders. We have the divine power to overcome sin. How much power is that? Same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We have eternal security. In other words, our future is secure. What do we have to fear? But I love this one. We're his ambassadors. We're ambassadors. And we're not chosen because of our nationality. We're chosen because we put our faith in Christ. You see, we are the citizens. We are his ambassadors. And I'm wondering, what does that look like? Well, I think Jesus called it salt and light. Jesus called it salt and light. I love what Jesus had to say here. Look what he said. You are the salt of the earth. Now, if you don't know anything about ancient times, salt was considered essential for life. It could be a preservative. It could be a disinfectant. It added flavor to foods. It was actually considered a commodity. It could be traded in exchange for money. It added value. But note this. But if the salt loses its saltiness... He goes on to say that basically, it's really good for nothing except maybe to walk on like that. You know, I grew up in an age where a very serious crime was known as a DUI, driving under the influence. I understand this one because I have an uncle, and he lost his brother and his entire family on a Christmas Eve to a drunk driver. But I think there's something else today that's just as harmful or potentially harmful, but it's so much more subtle. It's kind of underground, and I call it LUI, living under the influence of culture. You see, this is what contaminates us. When we compromise our values for the value system of this world, Jesus said we're to be in it, but not of it, then suddenly our salt, our presence, our good deeds become contaminated. You see? And so I look at this, and and I think, if you're wondering, are you under the influence? Well, Well, just take this little test with me. If there is little difference between the way you live And those at work who are far from God, you may be living under the influence. If you basically justify behavior that's contrary to the will of God with statements sort of like, well, you know, they're basically good people, or in your personal case, you know what, what I'm doing is not as bad as others. You may be living under the influence. If all you have for God's an hour on Sunday, you may be living under the influence. And if all you have for God is leftovers, then I want to say this. You are living under the influence. I think what Paul's trying to say here is Christ followers add flavor to our nation by demonstrating godly character. We preserve freedom and justice. We ought to be at the forefront of fighting for freedom and justice. We are our nation's disinfectant as we lead others to Christ and they overcome the power and penalty of the sin that so divides us all. And we add value through our good deeds. We show people our Christ, thus we earn people to tell people our Christ. Imagine the difference in politics today. If we could disagree without dishonoring, if we could find common ground to build upon for all peoples, not only in this nation, but around the world, and by learning to gain respect, by giving respect. Do you think that would make American politics just a little more civil? 
I think it's needed. But Jesus goes on with something that seems kind of like the obvious. He says, you're the light of the world. And then he goes on to explain that a town is built on a hill, cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp, put it under a stand. Instead, they put it somewhere where it gives light. You're thinking, well, Jesus, you got a firm grasp of the obvious. Well, if he does, then why is he telling us this? Because the problem is, we've stopped believing it. We've stopped becoming that light. You see, folks, we light up this world when we walk humbly with God, when we show mercy to others, and when we lead the way in doing justice through good deeds as we show them what Christ is for, not against. You see, a couple years ago, I was diagnosed with Meniere's disease. I've already lost my left ear. I started losing my life right ear. And so I was put on a low-sodium diet. And according to the American Heart Association, low-sodium diets are really good for you. But can I tell you something? Low-sodium Christians are not good for the heart of a nation. And I don't know about you, but I read with soft light. And soft light may be good for my vision, but soft light Christians are not good for the vision of a nation. And somehow we've settled to become LED Christ followers, meaning we want to save energy and keep the cost of discipleship down. And folks, it never happens that way. You see, the third option is about goodness, where every day we can take a knee and pray for our government and pray for our leaders, where every single day we can take up a towel and serve those in whatever place God has given us by doing good. What if today you just decided every day when I go to work, I'm going to stop complaining. I'm going to stop gossiping. I'm going to bring my best and better. Do you think that would make a difference? You see, folks, we carry his name, we preserve his values, we proclaim his message, and we show the world what Christ stands for by our actions. You see, but here's the great tragedy. We have settled for passive acceptance over bold assurance. Did you get that? We've settled for passive acceptance over bold assurance. But I believe that this may be the church's greatest hour because, you see, we bring the good news that stands by the broken pieces, and there will be broken pieces because the wages of sin is still death, whether culture wants to believe it or not. You see, we demonstrate bold assurance when we embrace the third option. I believe that. You know, proclaiming his good news in word and in conduct. Living differently, demonstrating character in wherever we are in a world that seems to be bent on destroying itself. And here's what I've concluded. As the world grows darker, we must shine brighter. We must be the good news wherever you are. I love this country. I fought for this country, as did my grandfather, my father. And today I have a son and son-in-law who both serve in the military, who one day may be asked to give their lives for the cause of justice and freedom. But you know, most importantly, they serve the Lord Almighty. I want to ask you this question. Are you serving God where you are? Are you obeying God where you are? Are you the good news wherever God has placed you, transforming one life at a time? You see, I just wonder, what would it look like for you to decide today to live like heaven's citizen, 
How do you want to be remembered? Maybe I should ask, how will you be remembered? And just remember this. When you're forced to take side, there's always a third option, God's way. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Gracious God, thanks for the reminder that your way is the best way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord, today, there's some of those that have never here understood the word Lord, what that means, where you get to reign supreme in their life and that they get to discover the, your best option, the third option. And right now, if there's any person that's never prayed this prayer, I'd say they just pray a very simple prayer to invite you in your life. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've been against you, but I wanna be for you. I wanna invite you into my life now. I want the third option. I want your way from this day forward so that you will guide and direct my paths and let me be an instrument of your good news. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I'm just gonna ask you if you would just to simply raise your hands. Anybody pray that prayer on church online? You could just click a button, thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Well, I wanna pray for us. Thank you. I see it over here. Thank you. Well, let me pray. Lord Jesus, I am so mindful that we are your citizens. We are royals. We're your sons. We're your daughters. We're your image bearers. Help us to believe that today, to be salt in life, not to be divided by politics, not to be divided by racism, not to be divided by anything, but to be characterized by our loves because we are your sons, we are your daughters, we are your citizens. And we ask this and God's people say, amen. amen.